Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this chance, this day, for your spirit at work. We ask again that you stir in each of us. May the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts be acceptable and beneficial. Amen. Let me start by asking you four questions. I want to uh, get you in the door uh, and set you up for God to talk to you. That's the wonder and the power of preaching that God might talk to you. It matters not a lick if Chris Brecky or Joe Blow talks to you, but if we open up the Lord's book and God talks to you, then we got some. Pray that that might happen. So the questions. Number one, how many of you have gone on a long hike of 10 miles or more? Oh, quite a few. Good. Question two, how many of you like roller coasters? Oh, quite a few. Good. Question number three, how many of you have ever had family trouble? <laughs> Most, and those who aren't raising their hand don't want to admit it. Question number four, how many of you wear glasses or contacts? Oh, lots. Okay. Long hike, roller coaster, family trouble, glasses. You see the connection. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> not yet. Well, all four of those uh, will get in the game as we think together about perhaps the greatest character in the first half of the Bible. Now, I realize that Joseph is not up there on the Old Testament uh, Mount Rushmore, you know, with Abraham, Moses, David, and Elijah. But I just know that this guy, Joseph, shines forth the light of Christ in a way unlike those other VIPs. Yeah, see what you think. Well, the record of Joseph, not to be confused with the other Joseph uh, in the New Testament, the stepfather of Jesus, uh, it's extensive and riveting. From a young boy to an older man, we get informed on the broad sweep and some very particular details of Joseph's life. From his first appearance in Genesis 37 all the way to the end of Genesis in chapter 50, it is the Joseph show. Uh, it's a long-running saga with the ups and downs of a roller coaster. I think we got a picture. Oh, yeah, look at that baby. Some of you are thinking, man, that looks fun. Some of you are thinking, terrifying. Well, for those of us who like roller coasters, our uh, appreciation of it would be changed drastically if you didn't know how it was going to end. It would change in a hurry. You're being lifted and dropped and jolted and taken here and there, and especially if it was in the dark, like on uh, Space Mountain, and you didn't know if it was going to end well, end safely, wow, that would take the fun right out of it. It would go from joyride to nightmare. Very few lives have had the ups and downs of Joseph. Drastic, wrenching, highs and lows were his. 
His story has five distinct chapters. And I hope you might take some time, if you have time today, read those chapters. I think you'll get a lot out of it. But five distinct chapters, it's kind of like a five-act play, if you will. And I'm going to use this, uh, this stick to illustrate the pitch of Joseph's life. So in Act 1, when you first meet him, it's pretty flat. I mean, not, not too significant at first. Joseph is one of 12 sons of Jacob, a common life. But rather quickly, there's a sharp upturn for Joseph. He is chosen as the golden boy. He is daddy's favorite. He is handsome and smart. And Joseph gets a very special jacket, maybe something like this. The coat of many colors, the Bible calls it. And it's a clear ID to everyone of his prime status. Oh, yeah. He even receives dreams, dreams from God about his elevated future. In the dreams, his brothers come and bow down to him. Wow. His future is so bright. We'd say he had to wear sunglasses, but they, did, they didn't have them then. But he had his coat, his coat of many colors. So it's up, up, and away for the brilliant boy. Well, as it's climbing on up, any, any problem with that? Any trouble brewing? Well, as he gets up there to the apex and kind of levels out, you might have some sense that, hmm, there might be more to this. In fact, Joseph seems a little oblivious to how his brothers might be taking his ascendancy. And as you read the text, you find out, yeah, he's kind of a, he's kind of a brat. Uh, he's spoiled. He's a tattletale against his brothers, kind of a braggart. So he's up there, but uh-oh, look out below. So the brothers despise this arrogant twerp, and they get him. Wanting to kill him, they instead see a camel caravan coming along, perhaps sent by the providential hand. We got the camels? Oh, there they are. Would you rather take a roller coaster ride or a camel ride? Not, not sure. But the brothers, they sell little Joe for cash. Zoom, plop, splat, down he goes. Hmm? He ends up shanghai to Egypt. He's a nobody among strangers. It had been up, up, and away, and now it's down and out. He's a goner. He's a slave. He lost everything. Act one. Act two. Up, up, and away. Down and out. Roller coaster. And now this camel ride. To pause here for a moment, some of you maybe relate. You may have had a wonderful childhood, full of fun and promise. You had aptitudes and opportunities. Some of you may still be on top of the ride, life going swimmingly, up, up, and away. Some of you may know about Act Two 
steep descent, great loss, you might have flushed it away yourself or had the shine snatched away from you unfairly. But you have plummeted. The gleam is gone. The nadir is here. Maybe your health went south, or the family busted up, or the finances are on life support. Plop and splat are feelings you are familiar with. It's pretty easy to trust God when things are going great. Pretty easy to worship and praise in Act One. For some, faith stumbles or fails in Act Two. Great loss brings great trust issues. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Difficulties make it hard to trust. And when the difficulty is family trouble, I mean serious family trouble, shakes the foundations. You wonder if you ever recover. Hmm? How do we handle it? How, how would Joseph handle it? Perhaps you've heard the, uh, the adage, difficulties make you either bitter or better. Something's going to happen when you suffer great loss. Well, maybe it's kind of like Humpty Dumpty. You remember that old nursery rhyme? Ah, good old Humpty. We got a picture. Oh, yeah. See, he's happy. He's up. Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. And all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. How could you? Humpty, an egg, or your family together again? Hmm. Can you trust God and not be bitter and hope that someday, somehow, things will get better? Trust issues are there for all of us. Well, Act 3 in the saga of Joseph is another ascent. As a slave in Egypt, he lands on his feet. Here's how Genesis 39 begins. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who is one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of the household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. Aha! The arrow's back up. Somehow he has landed on his feet in the place where he landed. The arrow looking good. Joseph rises. The Lord was still with him. He still had his abilities. He worked and did well. Though the external situation is foreign and his coat was long gone and he had to start from scratch, the good days were not over. Nice to see a guy make lemonade out of lemons. We love a comeback kid. If Joseph 
could be blessed out of his trashed life, could rise again, could know the goodness of God anew. Maybe you. May faith survive. Well, just when it's looking good, Act 3, yikes, here comes Act 4. I read on in Genesis 39. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care with Joseph in charge. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome, and after a while his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, My master does not concern himself with anything in the house, Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, This Hebrew, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, and I screamed. When, when he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak behind and ran out of the house. And from there, it looks again like all over for Joseph. He is sent to prison unjustly. Off to prison he goes. Hmm. For the second time in his life, a major league mistreatment. How could this happen a second time? How could faith survive? Act one, act two, act three, act four. Man, plop and splat again. Would trust in God survive? Though he's innocent of the charges, he is a criminal in prison. I thought it said the Lord was with him. How about us? If we've sunk like a rock, especially if we're innocent, will faith survive? Can we trust? Can we have the pluck of this little snail, for example? Once upon a time, a man was in his front room reading, and he hears a little knock at the door. So he goes out, opens the door, looks around, nobody there. He thought, oh, that's odd. He looks down at the stoop, and there's a snail sitting there. So the man picks up the snail and gives it a look and then just flicks it out into the garden and goes back about his business. Two years later, <laughs> he's in the same room. He hears a, a little knock, goes to the door, nobody there, looks down again. <laughs> it's that snail. 
And the snail says, what in the heck was that about? <laughs> well, took a long time and a lot of effort for that snail. Took a long time and a lot of effort for Joseph. Life can be a long hike. Could be way more than that 10 miles I asked you about. Uh, the longest hike I ever took was 14 miles uh, in southern Utah uh, to a place called Rainbow Bridge. You might want to look it up. Fantastic. Tough hike, barren land, not much to see, but a spectacular finish. Well, 10 miles, 14 miles. I bet many of us would choose that hike rather than some of the other long, arduous hikes of life, way longer than the snail's two years. So if you find yourself trudging along and you just don't see a spectacular image right there in front of you, well, hike on. There's an old saying, if you're going through hell, keep going. Don't sit down there. I know that some of you have a very long hike that you're on right now. Could be a lot of uphill, a lot of gray days, decades of disability, estrangement in the family, financial ruin, several bouts of illness. Some hikes, you just try to put one foot in front of the other. You didn't sign up for it, but sometimes you're on a certain kind of marathon. Sometimes that is your reality. I wonder how Joseph's trust was doing during his incarceration. How did he not just let the bitterness burn, surrender to despair? Somehow, doesn't really say, but somehow the Spirit empowered him to trust and to keep going. God gave him a certain vision, the vision expressed in this little poem. Two men looked out from prison bars. One saw mud, the other stars. Same place. They were in the same place. May God enable you to see the stars when they're not yet there to see Sometimes the hike is long. Well, for Joseph, somehow he kept going. And uh, Act 5, Act 5 is another real encouragement uh, for us. Jailbird Joseph, falsely accused, unjustly imprisoned, has one more elevation to higher ground and sunnier days. So in prison, he uses... Uh, what he has, which is not much in that place, but he was given the gift of dream interpretation. You probably don't have that. But a promise of God is that each of us is given certain skills, abilities, gifts. Joseph used his, and he gets discovered by Pharaoh. Pharaoh's having these dreams. Nobody can tell him what it is. They hear of this guy down in prison, 
And Joseph explains, oh, we're in for, we're in for bad times. We're in for a drought. We've got we to gotta take action. And Joseph has, has the wisdom and the plan to lay things out, and he ends up rescuing Egypt from a great famine, and he gets promoted. He has done well. And so he's all the way up again. Prime minister of Egypt. Wow. He was able to bless the land where he landed. He spikes again. The air was up. Rags to riches. Outhouse to penthouse. And if his turn in external situation was not enough, here in Act 5, that hellish family trouble that he had decades before is also going to take a rather divine upturn. The drought happened to be region-wide, and Joseph's brothers from up in Israel show up down there in Egypt looking for help. They don't recognize Joseph at first. He's in a different fancy coat now, but he sure recognizes them. He knows who they are. These are the guys who tried to ruin his life. And once they realize who he is, their reaction is, uh-oh, zow, are they going to get it now? Joseph in power, having been hated and exiled by them decades before, would probably now get revenge, eh? He could have. Many would say he should have. The standard human would have. But here's how it played out. Genesis 50. His brothers then came, threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Wow. You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. I, I think that's one of the greatest verses in the whole Bible. You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. How could he have seen it that way? Somehow, the Spirit of God working in Joseph gave him some kind of divine uh, double vision, if you will, godly bifocals, so to speak. He knew about the mud. He, he knew about all the rat fink things that had been done. But somehow God also gave him the upper story, a, a higher look, a greater understanding of what might yet come. Oh, for a trust like that, for a faith like that. Well, I'm sure it's obvious who Joseph reminds you of. Who came from the highest lovely place, the chosen son, to dwell among us, only to be sold out for dead by his brothers and sisters? Who was betrayed, mistreated, innocent, left for dead? Who forgave anyway 
and rose again and claimed us back. Jesus. He's the reason we're here. He's the reason we trust. And if you want that for you, wherever you're at in that uh, pitch of life, say amen. Amen.